Welcome to One Screened Every Minute. I'm Elizabeth Callanan. To begin, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land I'm recording on today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Ask any expectant parent what they want for their child and they'll likely tell you, I just hope they're happy and healthy. Increasingly, people are seeking reassurance and peace of mind through non-invasive prenatal screening, or NIPT. At as early as 10 weeks, a simple blood test can provide information about the likely genetic makeup of the foetus. But what happens when the results are unexpected? When they raise more questions than answers? In One Screened Every Minute, I'll bring you conversations with ordinary people who have received extraordinary information about their pregnancy. In each episode, we hear how they understood and navigated the options available to them after receiving screening results showing a high chance of chromosomal differences. These stories are shared so we can learn but not judge, and they need our urgent attention. Today on One Screened Every Minute, I'm speaking with Casey. Casey will describe what it was like to receive a non-invasive prenatal screening result showing a high chance for trisomy 18, or Edwards syndrome. This result came soon after she lost a twin who was stillborn. Casey is a teacher and now a busy mum to two young daughters. But as she'll explain, her path to parenthood hasn't been straightforward. Casey, Thanks for being part of the podcast. You're our first interstate guest. Thanks, Lizzie. I wondered if you could tell me what made you want to share your story today. Um, when we lost our first daughter, I made it, I guess, part of my mission as a bereaved mum to, to be able to share my story and her story and the story of my family Um to help other parents who were going through or would go through what we had already been through. So, yeah, I've just made it, I guess, something that that I want to be able to do whenever I'm given the opportunity to be able to talk about my children um, and, yeah, and what we've been through. Yeah, yeah. Are you comfortable to talk a bit about the loss of your first daughter? Yeah, for sure. So I... um. <clears throat> I was pregnant with twins, um, twin girls, and we, I was feeling sick um, at about 34 weeks. And we, um, so I had funny vision and I was having difficulty breathing, which I didn't think too much of with the difficulty breathing because it had been, when you have two big babies squishing you, it's... <laughs> Everything becomes a bit difficult, but then having the um, blurry vision, that became a bit of a concern. So we went to a medical centre who then sent us off to our doctor, off to our hospital. And at that point, we weren't sure what was happening, but um, it turned out that one of our twins had passed away. Um... So there is absolutely no reason that we have found out why she passed. But um, 
we've had the we've had autopsy done we've had number of different tests done and nothing came back telling us what was wrong um oh, just completely unexplained yeah mm. so it's suspected that I had preeclampsia that was not picked up by our obstetrician mm. but we'll never know ah mm. oh, Casey yeah unfathomable thank you for um being open to speaking about that and obviously while today you know we're focusing more around prenatal screening I feel like mm. you know there's going to be prospective parents listening to this podcast whether they're pregnant or thinking about pregnancy mm. um, who would really benefit from hearing about this experience as well I wonder is there yeah. uh, you know what got you through that time and is, are there any you know particular messages that you would want to share around that that first loss um no matter what anyone tells you if they tell you to get over it or be strong and move on this is your baby this is your child you're the only one who knows how to move on from the grief how to be able to start living your new life um because that's what it is it's your new way of living um no one ever expects to become a parent of a child who they have lost to become a bereaved parent. But um, until you're actually put into that position, unless they themselves have been through it, they don't know what to expect. They don't know what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Um, like I remember in the first eight to 10 months, going to the shops, seeing a double pram it, it would floor me. I would literally run in the opposite direction if I was at the shops. I could not handle seeing a double pram. Whether that pram had twins in it or not, it didn't matter. But to anyone who didn't know my situation, it was just another pram. But for me, I was always on the lookout, always on guard for a double pram. Mm. That's important for people to hear. And where did you find the most support? Like what was most useful or has been, continues to be most useful? Um, connecting with other bereaved parents. Mm. In the first probably two months, I barely spoke to anyone. I had one friend who stuck by me um, and she's now a godmother to my children. Um, but pretty much everyone else disappeared. So any friends that I had worked with previously, any friends that I'd had connections with in any other capacity, they all disappeared. What's that about? <laughs> You'll actually find that a lot of bereaved parents will say the same thing, that all of their friends who, because they don't know what to say, they don't know how to react to, to you not being happy all the time, to you, um, finding yourself in a depressed state to you talking about your, your child who's died. They don't know how to react. They don't know what to say. Mm. So their way of getting by it is by just disappearing, by not inviting you out or anything. So the people that have gotten me through it are actually other bereaved parents who have been through the same things that we have been through as well. Mm. Huge strength in that. Mm. So 
Moving our thinking now to prenatal screening, take yourself back to where you first learnt about prenatal screening, what you first perhaps thought about it, who told you, was it at a GP appointment and sort of what it meant to you at that early point. As part of the online baby group that I was in, there was a lot of talk from other mums who knew a little bit more about the prenatal screening and I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. So me being me, I went and did a lot of Googling, um, seeing what it was all about and decided that, yep, that sounds like something that I want to be able to do. Like, yes, you get to find out the gender, but you also find out any other bits and pieces to help you prepare if you need to be able to prepare. So when I was pregnant with the twins, um, I had that test done at 12 weeks. Okay. So you had non-invasive prenatal screening at 12 weeks with the twins? Yes. So that was also a part of my... um, my 12-week ultrasound that I had done then and nothing came back untoward. Um, We were spoken to with a genetic counsellor when she went through it all to explain to us what the test looks for and I didn't really think too much more about it. I'm like, yes, it's a lot of money to be forking out for it. Um, so there was nothing unexpected in the twins, non-invasive prenatal screening, mm. but you still saw a genetic counsellor? Yeah. So we had the genetic counsellor talk to us before we actually had the blood test taken. The place that I was sent to, they actually have, it's a specialised place for pregnancy. So they um, they have their own genetic counsellor for you to talk to. Ah. So tell me about what, what was that like? Um. It was kind of a bit overwhelming because I didn't really know what to expect. Um, My husband was away at the time and my parents were there with me. Being the first major scan, I didn't want to be going to it on my own, but I'd also been really sick beforehand. So my parents had come down and they, they came to the appointment with me. They probably took in more of what was said than what I did because I really had no idea what I was listening to. But basically I was told that it tested for T13, T18 and T21 Um, I didn't really know anything about T13 and T18. I was really only interested in being tested for T21, Um, not knowing too much about Down syndrome at the time, but I had assumed that it was more genetic related and I wanted to be tested for it just to be on the safe side because my mum's sister had Down syndrome. So at that point you were more of the understanding that you might be at a higher chance because of that? Yeah, so because I was also um, nearly 35, so I guess I also had extra risk factors as well. Genetic science is complex. Many of us might turn our minds to the subject for the first and only time in early pregnancy. And like Casey, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. For more details from genetic counsellor Melody about the chromosomal changes that lead to trisomy 21, 18 and 13, head back to the explainer episode. These chromosomal changes occur spontaneously when cells are dividing following fertilisation. So the fact that Casey's auntie has Down syndrome doesn't mean Casey has a higher chance of having a child with Down syndrome. We just wanted to to know more at the time 
not that we'd really talked about anything for for the options of what we would do if we did get a result of um, any of the trisomies, but and finding out one of the genders of the twins or both of the genders being girls, um, mm. then that was just an added bonus. But at the time it was more so just as a precaution so that we knew what we were up against. So we waited a week to 10 days for those results. And my obstetrician rang me and said that the results had come back all fine. Um, There was no concerns. And she told me that we were having two girls. So, um, yeah, we were super excited because we'd wanted girls. We We were pretty happy. So, yeah, we continued on with that pregnancy, not having any real concerns for um, not so much the health and well-being, but being concerned about um, anything going wrong. Um, So then when it came to um, 34 weeks and finding out that one of our babies had passed away unexpectedly, um, it was a massive shock, massive kick in the guts. Of course. You have that early reassurance and... Yeah. confidence I guess and yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, my biggest concern had been having a miscarriage and I'd gotten through that and um, yeah then everything else happened um, mm. so then when we fell pregnant the second time it was it was a no-brainer that we were going to have the nip test um, yeah we were doing it no matter what because we'd done it the first time why wouldn't we do it the second time um, again, just as a, just to make sure kind of thing. So I'm interested that you spoke about with the twins that you had the non-invasive prenatal screening mm. and you hadn't talked about what you would do or, or maybe you'd talked, but you hadn't come to any conclusions around what you might do depending on unexpected results. I think there may have been possibly one conversation about it yeah but look I don't and I'm not I don't want you to feel like that's a um I I think that's actually very common probably Mm, like it's I guess we we hadn't really thought of too far ahead about what could actually be told at those results Mm. um Mm. like yeah we'll have the test but the chances of something happening are slim, they so are. Yeah, they let's are. not worry about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we hadn't really thought that far ahead, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, too, as I said, I think that that's probably not an uncommon scenario. And I also find it interesting that idea of, of people that may be in a different position and have spoken in depth and, and come to particular conclusions that when they're actually you know, receive information that's not expected, you know, they may not, their thoughts might change, Yeah. for example. I read a piece just in the lead up to speaking with you that was written by a woman in America who had chosen to terminate her pregnancy following a trisomy 18 diagnosis. And something that she said really struck me. She said that she encouraged people to remain humble when it comes to anticipating what you might do and I thought I just thought it kind of gave me shivers it was just a really uh useful sentiment Mm. I think for 
when we're talking about, and, and certainly in this podcast where we're speaking to people who've had various different experiences, made various different decisions, yeah. um, but that idea of, you know, remaining humble and open and understanding that everyone is unique in how they receive information at what point of their lives they're at and what that means to, to them. Yeah, most definitely. I never really thought of it like that, but yeah. So you so you have the screening and then uh, so you, you did the blood test at? Yeah, so with our second pregnancy, it was a difficult pregnancy right from the beginning. We found out at four weeks that I was pregnant um, and it was a shock, a surprise, unexpected, whatever you want to call it. Quicker than you thought. Yeah, so we hadn't expected to fall pregnant. We went to our obstetrician and she did an ultrasound that day for us and she wasn't positive that it wouldn't be twins again. So there was all of that extra anxiety as well. So she was on holidays at around the six-week mark when she wanted us to have another scan. So she sent us off to a different ultrasound technician and our baby at that point in time didn't have a heartbeat when he expected the baby to have a heartbeat. So he um, had told us that it was a miscarriage and we had two options. We could go to our obstetrician and have it removed or we could go home and wait for it to fall out. That was his words. So at six, six and a half weeks, that's what we were told. Being the first pregnancy after having a stillbirth, we were a little bit in shock that that was the way that we were treated. So with our obstetrician being on holidays, we took ourselves to our GP and she organised for us to have another ultrasound a couple of days later. And at that ultrasound our baby did have a heartbeat. So the baby that we were told to literally go home and wait for wait for it to fall out, um, that baby did end up with a, with a heartbeat. So the baby was measuring about a week behind at that point. So that changed the expected due date by a week. But we didn't think too much of it. Um, apparently it can happen. So we continued on our merry way and actually started to get excited about having another baby. After an unsure start to this pregnancy, just as Casey was beginning to feel things were falling into place, the nuchal translucency measurement at the 12-week ultrasound was found to be measuring outside the expected range. The nuchal fold is at the back of the baby's neck, and a thicker measurement is one of the physical markers that can suggest Down syndrome. Even before the ultrasound, Casey had decided she'd do this screening test as she'd done with her twins. But the results suddenly took on more importance. Preliminary blood test results received a few days after the ultrasound showed an increased chance of all three trisomies. And Casey then had a further week of anxious waiting until she received the non-invasive prenatal screening results. Um those results said that there was basically a very, very high chance of baby having trisomy 18. 
And Casey, how did you, how was that communicated to you? Was that a phone call or did you? Yeah. So my husband got the phone call with everything that was happening. He took those phone calls and then he told me. He, I guess, was also processing it without communicating it to me, which made it really difficult for me. Mm. As part of the phone call that my husband had taken, so he had that phone call with the genetic counsellor at the place that we had the ultrasound at. So I was booked in like two days later to have a CVS done. So th- so you had that two days where you had the high high chance result and you were going for diagnostic. Yeah a diagnostic test and what can you remember what those two days were like what conversations you were having or it was a lot of googling again trying to understand what trisomy 18 was what we were up against what it would mean for the baby what it would mean for us at that point in time we had also found out that it was another little girl so then it was a lot of why us why are we going through this again kind of questioning And how are we going to get through this? What does this actually mean? Because as I said, with the first pregnancy, I had no idea what T13 and T18 were. I had only known about T21. um, And that was mainly because of my auntie. Um, Like I'm a trained special ed teacher. So yes, I've been around a lot of other children with Down syndrome, as well as children with other multiple disabilities. And I've seen it all. But what does this diagnosis actually mean for us? What does it mean for this little baby? It sounds like you were gathering that information even prior, quite actively gathering information. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And where, what was useful or not useful? Um, where were you? Where were you getting your information from? Oh, we were literally googling everywhere. <laughs> literally typing in trisomy eighteen. We were looking at American pages. We were looking at um, not so much the symptoms, but what what is the life expectancy? What is yeah, basically lots of medical journals. My husband printed off so many different documents and highlighting things and trying to understand what what it was all about and what picture what picture was being painted by the journals by what else you were finding on online so a lot of what we were reading said that um t18 babies would generally be lost to miscarriage or they would pass away during pregnancy And very few babies would make it to term. And those that did make it to term would most likely um, pass away during birth. And very, very few would make it through the first few hours after birth. With, again, even fewer um, surviving the first few days, the first few weeks um, after birth. So it painted a very grim picture for us at that point in time. But again, we needed to know more. We we had the CVS done and the... Can you tell me a bit about the experience of the CVS? Um, <laughs> so I'm scared of needles. So having a needle going into your belly when you are awake 
is a very, very scary experience, especially when you are not allowed to move at all. So yeah, it was not a fun experience. Let me put it that way. And it was very painful. Right. Okay. Painful during the procedure. So they obviously um, numbered and everything, Mm -hmm. but it's still painful. And then the pain afterwards for probably the first 24 hours was likened to the pain that you feel with your period cramps. One of the high risk factors of having a CVS done is having a miscarriage, but we needed to know more. Yeah. So that was, that was having the CVS done. Then we again had more of a wait, finding out the results. And again, they came back saying that um, it's definitely trisomy 18. At that point, we had also booked in and saw our obstetrician once we got those results back. And our obstetrician, she then referred us to the fetal medicine unit at one of the larger hospitals because they are trained in this sort of thing. At that point in time, she had spoken to us about having a termination and she is the same obstetrician that we had with our twins as well. So she'd been through the stillbirth with us and having a termination, I had said to her because I've never had a miscarriage. I had never been through this before. I didn't know what to expect. And I said to her that if I was to have a termination, would there be, like, would I be able to to see her? Would there be any way of me getting her handprints or footprints or, or something tangible? And she said, no, there wouldn't be. And I'm like, well, in my mind, how can I go through that then? I was at that point about 14 and a bit weeks. Yeah, so I had basically a week and a bit to to make up my mind as to what I wanted to do. So we ended up at fetal medicine and we were t- we spoke to a doctor. He went through our three options essentially. He said that we could go from so up until 16 weeks we could have the termination where it's all done inside of me. That's just how it goes. And I couldn't see the baby, touch the baby, anything like that. I would have nothing to remind me of my baby. Then the second option from 16 weeks until 22 weeks, I was given the option of a termination where I am induced and I deliver my baby. So I would be able to hold her, cuddle her, photos, handprints, footprints, that sort of thing. Then I was given the other option of after 22 weeks, I could continue the pregnancy if I wished. But then if I wanted to terminate, I would have to be signed off by two doctors and um, a psychiatrist to say that... um, this is what I need to do for my mental health, essentially. Or I could continue the pregnancy to birth and see what happens, essentially. Having a termination up to 16 weeks was completely off the table. I did not want to go through that at all. If I was going to terminate, I needed to be able to physically deliver my baby and see her and, and hold her. 
Um, so having a termination up to 16 weeks was completely off the table for me. And my husband did understand that and he fully supported me with whatever I chose to do. In my mind and what I had decided that we would continue on and see how we go, have more scans, get more information, see how we went with with the information that we gathered basically because this was again all very new to us. We'd only been on this road for just over two weeks essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you had that genetic information, you didn't necessarily have too much information about how that was impacting on the development at that point. Yeah, exactly. Especially as a lot of what we had previously read had said that on scans, babies with T18 will have significant deformities and abnormalities in even their 12-week scan. When we were at fetal medicine at 15 weeks, there were still no obvious abnormalities in any of the scans that we had Mm. the only abnormality that was coming up was that she was small so she was developing on track but slower yeah everything else was still okay there was nothing else with her heart with her brain nothing was showing as being wrong it was only that she was smaller than what she should have been so for us we needed to know more so keeping in mind that We were also um, heading into our daughter's first birthday and the first anniversary of our twin dying. And we had all of that to get our head around as well. So we had a lot of stuff to to be contending with at that point in time. And having this on top of it, and needing to make those decisions, it was hard. Mm. So we went back to fetal medicine quite a few times, having scans, talking to doctors, seeing a social worker, all of those sorts of things. We ended up booking in for another scan, I think another week or two later after that. So that was about 18 weeks. On each of those scans, nothing still came up. Nothing that we were seeing on pictures and whatnot nothing was wrong with her physically and we couldn't go making those decisions that that we were essentially needing to make without having concrete evidence that this baby wasn't going to be surviving. My husband and I had also been having conversations about if we were to go to term and see what happens, whether we wait until she herself ends up passing away while I'm still pregnant with her or we end up having her um, so I would have had to have had a c-section with her because I'd had a c-section with my twins um, which was an emergency c-section so I would have had to have had a c-section with this baby because it was um, 12 months less than 12 months since I had had the had the twins so I wouldn't have even been having her, um, her naturally. So if we were to go through to term and have a C-section, how would we be able to go through me having another C-section, not being able to drive, not being able to to pick up our daughter, 
all of those sorts of things. But then also, if she doesn't survive, I've just had another C-section. What are we going to do? Like, how is that fair that we go through all of that, but we end up with our baby who hasn't survived again? Or if she does happen to survive birth and then she does end up coming home with us, everywhere it says that T18 babies are going to pass away at some point in their in their first days, weeks, months, year, whatever it might be. But then the conversations also went around how is that going to be fair on our just turned one-year-old who has already had one stillborn sister, how is that going to be fair on her? Like there, there were so many different conversations that we were having about the different scenarios that we might find ourselves in. I don't know how your brain didn't explode. <laughs> That's it. Like there, there was so much that we had to take into consideration. And were you able to draw on the experience, like just with your online information gathering, were you able to draw on experiences from families? Like, was that part of what you were learning from families who had made various choices? Yes and no. So what was that like? There is a SANS Facebook group for parents that do choose to terminate for medical reasons, but otherwise... Any of the information that I was finding was more geared towards those that have chosen to keep their pregnancy and have gone through their baby surviving and going to speech and OT and physio. And I guess that also put it into perspective for us where we would literally be spending every waking moment doing exercises and appointments and all those sorts of things with this baby who needs a lot of additional care and our one-year-old daughter would essentially be forgotten. So a lot of our, our discussions were also around what do we do in that respect? Like we would be spending a lot of money, a lot of money which we don't have, for these appointments for this baby, as well as essentially neglecting our other daughter who needs a lot of support and love and care because my research into twins who have lost a twin during birth is that they also go through a lot of trauma. So she's also going to be needing a lot of, not so much a lot of therapy, but a lot of extra love and support, understanding why she's the surviving twin. So to be able to to um, essentially split our time between those two, two children, one who needs a lot of physical support in feeding and walking and talking and, and everything like that, as well as one who needs a lot of extra emotional support because of what she's previously been through. It, it did come into a lot of our discussions and decision-making as well. There was lots of different factors that we that we did come across in our in our research to to help us make any decisions that we needed to make. Mm. So we continued to have scans looking for any obvious abnormalities because that was the biggest thing for us. A lot of the research that we were finding was saying that it may 
um, only be partially um, a trisomy, so it may not be as severe as what we were what we were being led to believe. Um, and we thought, well, if we're not seeing anything physical, then perhaps perhaps it's not as bad as what what we're being told. So then after the girl's first birthday, I was just over 20 weeks, I believe, and we went and had a another scan and we had a doctor who, again, he was perplexed as to why there was nothing being seen on the screen as well. Mm. He couldn't understand why the results were saying one thing, but we can't physically see anything else. And about 10 minutes later, I'm signing a form to have an amniocentesis so that we could gather more information. So we had the amnio done. Um, and again, it was another waiting game. And they came back saying that, yes, baby did definitely have trisomy 18. Like, okay, radio, we've had all of the testing done that we can possibly have done, but nothing is still coming up physically on any of the scans. So at that point, by the time we got the results back from the amnio, I was past 22 weeks. So we had made the decision previously that we would terminate before 22 weeks because I didn't want them to hurt my baby. So by before 22 weeks, they don't have to give the baby a needle um, to stop the baby's heart beating. The baby can just simply be induced and be born and will eventually pass away, whether it's before birth or just after birth. And that was essentially a decision that I could live with, where nothing is hurting my baby, but baby is out of pain, essentially. With us not being 100% sure that there was something wrong with the baby, we decided that, yes, we'll have the amniocentesis, Yes, that does mean that I have to go past 22 weeks. And if we do decide to go down the path of termination, then we'll have to deal with that part later. And it's just something that I'm going to have to live with because we had to make sure we did not have enough physical evidence to be able to make the decision that we had to make. What we had decided, though, is that we couldn't take ourselves to full term because putting me through, we couldn't put ourselves through that. Um, not when we have already had one stillbirth. So we knew that we couldn't do that. And we knew that the extra support that our baby would need um, after birth, if she happened to survive, it wasn't fair on our family to be putting us through that or her through that. Um, so those were a lot of the decisions that we had made. Um, but we needed to make sure that she definitely did have trisomy 18 before we made any of those critical decisions. So we got the results at about 22 and a half weeks with her. And then we went in for another scan and that was at about 23 weeks from memory. And at that point in time we did start to see um, some small abnormalities starting to form 
Um, and this is this was shown on one of the um, ultrasounds that we did have done. Um, so I guess it was almost a relief to to put our mind at ease that um, she does have trisomy eighteen. In rare cases of chromosomal differences, some cells are typical while others have a change in chromosomal number. This is known as mosaicism. My daughter has mosaic Down syndrome. It's difficult to draw broad clinical conclusions about the impact of mosaicism on development. Limited research in this area suggests it can mean development might be closer to what would typically be expected, but there's no certainty. Like each of us, whether we're made up of cells with 46 or 47 chromosomes or a mixture of the two, we'll all develop in our own unique way. Our environment, of course, plays a big part in all of this too. So Casey, before making any decision, was wanting to establish if this was a typical or a mosaic presentation of trisomy 18. The genetic counsellor confirmed that it was not mosaic. So then we had to make the decision of when do we go through the process of of giving birth to her, essentially. Yeah, so one Wednesday morning we said goodbye to our one-year-old and took ourselves to hospital. And that's where we stayed for four days. Um, yeah. It was a very long four days, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, went up to fetal medicine and they did what they had to do. And um, yeah, at 11 o'clock that morning, um, our little baby passed away. <sighs> and then I was taken down to birth suite and was given tablets to um, start inducing labour, but those tablets didn't end up working. Um, so I was in birth suite for 24 hours with nothing happening. And then we were taken up to our bereavement suite because they wanted their room back basically. Um, so we were up in our bereavement suite, which was on the maternity ward where we could hear babies crying. Oh, no separation there. Just, oh, yeah. that's, yeah. Um, so we, um, we were there for overnight. Apparently my body wasn't ready. I was given tablets again back in birth suite at about one thirty. Um, then by 3.30, I was in full-blown labour. Um, so I was told previously that if I went through with it before about 27, 28 weeks, I'd be able to have her naturally um, without going through a C-section. So I guess that was one of my other um, deciding factors, essentially, as to why we chose to to essentially terminate when we did. So we... Um, she passed away just before 26 weeks and um, 
yeah, she would have been 26 weeks the day after that she was born. Um, so yeah, I was in labor at 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, and then she was born at quarter past eight on the Friday night. Um, yeah, it was a very, very interesting experience being in the labor suite. The nurse that we had with us on the first afternoon was the same one that we had when she was born and she was amazing. So what made her amazing? She treated me just like any other mum. Mm-hmm. And the way that she was with our baby after she was born, it was beautiful. Like she held her, she looked at her, she smiled at her. It was just so nice. Yeah, treated her just like she would with any other baby. Um, yeah, it was it was lovely. Oh, sounds like she was a gift there for Yeah, she was. Yeah. She yeah. definitely was. Mm. And so what was that time at how you know, how were you able to spend time with her or what had you planned that or was it things that happened? Yeah, so I had planned um with our first stillbirth, I had nothing to do with it. I was in no frame of mind to be able to help with any of the um, organisation, essentially, that needed to be done. So from funeral homes to outfits, photos, none of it. Um, I didn't do any of that with our first. With our second, I... I was able to do that and I wanted to do that. So I had been shopping and I'd bought like a little teddy bear for her and I'd bought a book that I wanted to read with her, um, a blanket for her. I had gotten in contact with um, an organisation who was able to make an outfit for her so that I could have photos with her in, in a beautiful outfit that would actually fit her. Um, because she was so small and I was able to organise to have maternity photos done and then the same photographer then came to the hospital and took more photos so that lady was with Heartfelt and she took the photos and she emailed them to me um, like the day after after I had Evelyn mm. and she she was able to to be there for us. I was able to organise to have a priest come and give a blessing. I was able to organise for one of my closest friends to be able to come and come and meet her, for my parents to come and meet her, for her big sister to wear a big sister shirt and, and come and, and meet her, all those sorts of little things that I never got to do the first time. Um, and I think all of those sorts of things helped me in the grieving process as well mm. by being able to to be in control and to do the things that I hadn't been able to do with our first baby. You'd taken those learnings. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of the little things that I wasn't able to do the first time. And you were able to take control more. And, yeah. yeah, like no one told us to do that the second time around either, but... Because we'd been through it before, we were able to, we were prepared. Mm, so mm. we did do all of those things. 
Um, but yeah, the, the first time no one told us to do those sorts of things. And yeah, in hindsight, that's great. But our baby's gone now. We, we can't go back and get those memories back and take those photos and, and give her those hugs and give her a bath and all those sorts of things. Mm. We can't do any of that now. Mm. Like one of the things that I said to the photographer for, um, when she came and took our photos, I said, I want a photo with all of my children. Like I want a photo with our one-year-old. I want a photo with the bear of, of our stillborn baby. And I want a photo with, with this baby. So I want all three of them in the same photo. And, and she got it for me. Whereas the first time I don't have a photo of me holding both of my babies. Mm. I don't have a photo of me holding my stillborn baby. Um, I don't have any of that. Mm. Yeah, that's, as you say, the things you don't realise are so significant until it's too late. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I know when we sort of first spoke that you had some uh, concerns, I guess, around how your um, decisions might be understood by others. Yeah. So I, um, I love telling the story of my girls. Um, don't get me wrong. I guess the only difference is that because we did choose to terminate for medical reasons, that your religious types out there, they don't tend to take kindly to that decision. Um, my husband and I don't share that part of the story often. It's only those who are close to us and know us really well that know the full story. Not that we're ashamed of it. We chose to make the best decision for our baby and for us. But other people would not understand the full extent as to why we made those decisions. Um, like, don't get me wrong, I completely agree that a life is a life, but at the same time, when it is impacting upon your one-year-old baby, on your mental health, all those sorts of things, like, they need to come into it as well. So when we tell our story most of the time, we say that we've got two stillborn baby daughters. We don't go into the nitty-gritty. We just say that she passed away um, because of her T18. And essentially that is why she passed away. There was no guarantee that she was going to make it to term. But we will carry that decision for the rest of our lives. And we chose to do that. I have on my belly a little scar where that needle went in. And... Only I know what it's there for. Only I know what that scar truly means. Clearly, you know, the, the decision that you came to, it was the right decision for your family, but it's still that sense of carrying, um, carrying, carrying something. I, I, yeah. Mm. You, um, you have to look at it in ways to help yourself get through it. 
And I'm conscious too that not many people speak like you've spoken today around decision-making in terms of unexpected prenatal screening results and and termination. And, And I think you've really been able to explain perhaps some of why that sort of fear of judgment and, um, you know, it's bloody hard to give all the detail and, you know, nor should you have to be, be, um, providing that information to, to everyone. So it's, um, it's difficult, I think then to, to, for other people who might find themselves in a similar situation to, access those stories. So I hope, I'm sure that um, what you've shared today will be a really important story for people to be able to hear. Yeah, I hope so. For us to actively make the decision to end a baby's life at 26 weeks, it's not something that a person takes lightly. Um, There is a lot that goes into that decision. It's not like you wake up one day and say, yep, no, I don't want this baby anymore. There's a lot of reasoning that goes into it um, and a lot of sleepless nights. There is, there's a lot that goes into those decisions. Mm. And then a lot of silence. Yeah, most definitely. In these last few minutes, you'll hear Casey's youngest daughter, Holly, in the background. She's woken up from her nap, and while her mum's offering some really important parting words, she's letting us know that it's time we finished up Quick Smart. Is there anything sort of most significant, or is there anything that you'd really like to tell someone who might be listening who has had a high chance non-invasive prenatal screening results for trisomy 18 and is, is there anything that you'd like to share with them? Um, do your research but also do what's right for you. What's right for you might not be right for the person sitting next to you who's had the same result. While we've made the decision that we made at 26 weeks, if we hadn't have lost our first baby we may have made a completely different decision at 14 weeks. But at the same time, if we hadn't have been through what we went through with our first pregnancy, we may have decided to continue on to birth. So make the decision that is right for you. But at the same time, do your research, talk to other people. And it is, it is one of the hardest decisions that you will ever have to make. And talking to people that have already been through it It does help. It really does help. Oh, thanks, Casey. Thank you. Now, you have a screaming baby. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Go get Holly. Yeah, go, go. (laughs) Yeah. Look up there. This is Holly. Holly. Say hello. (laughs) Hello. And thank you for being patient, Holly. (laughs) It's probably lucky, Holly, I would have had your mum talking for another two hours. I think we could have spoken all afternoon. (laughs) I'm Elizabeth Callanan and you've been listening to One Screened Every Minute. If you want to check in about terminology or specifics, the Explainer episode with genetic counsellor Melody is the best place to start. And for more information and links 
There are notes for each episode over at onescreeneveryminute.com. Thanks to EverPatient series producer Joel Supple and to the University of Melbourne, Melbourne Disability Institute and the Vasudhara Foundation for supporting the podcast and allowing these important stories to be shared. Thank you.